Well, no matter how many times we sing that song, it always impresses me that it's the perfect song to sing before whatever the next text is that we're going to look at in the book of Philippians. It, it really is an appropriate theme song for this, for this book. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to revisit verses 19 through 30. And as you're turning there, I want to say thank you to Sam and uh, others that... Uh, have sacrificially served the Lord this weekend, and Sam was one of uh, a number of people that uh, were up at camp serving our students and left very late last night, got home at like 2 a.m. this morning and turned around and came came here early to lead us in worship here, and so we appreciate uh, men like Sam and and, uh, those of you that uh, are weekly making sacrifices for the kingdom. And uh, I think we, we need to learn to give honor to whom honor is due, as we're going to see in this text this morning. And um, just such a joy to have um, saints like Timothy and Epaphroditus here uh, at Lakeside Bible Church. But let's read this together again. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus has sent Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no, other, no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And now our text for this morning. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Father, we thank you for uh, this letter that we're all being so impacted by every week. And we ask once again that your spirit would work powerfully in our minds and our hearts. And as we're uh, listening to you speak to us through your word today, that you would uh, accomplish your work in our lives and that you would help us to, uh, to live lives of radical devotion to Christ, even as Epaphroditus did. And Lord, show us what that looks like practically in our lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past fall, a movie came out called Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you probably saw that movie, which tells the story of of Desmond T. Doss, who served as a U.S. Army combat medic in World War II. And Doss was the first soldier in American history to be awarded the Medal of Honor for service above and beyond the call of duty. But what was unique about him is he never fired a shot. As you may have heard, Doss was a conscientious objector who refused to carry a weapon or use a weapon of any kind. And so, as you can imagine, when he first enlisted, he quickly became an outcast among his fellow soldiers who mistook his religious uh, convictions for cowardice. And his commanding officers, commanding officers did every, everything they could to either get him discharged or, or get him to, to leave on his own accord. And when all uh, their attempts failed, uh, they eventually had him arrested for insubordination. At his trial, Doss pleaded not guilty, and it was determined that his refusal to carry a weapon uh, was protected by an act of Congress, and so the charges against him were dropped. Well, he was eventually sent with his unit to the Pacific uh, Theater to participate in the Battle of Okinawa, and their task was to climb the face of what was called Meta Escarpment, nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge, 
to take on the Japanese forces that were dug in there on top of that cliff. Uh, during the initial ta- attack, they uh, sustained heavy casualties and they were ordered to retreat. However, Doss heard the cries of dying soldiers and instead of retreating, he ran back into the carnage and risked his own life to save the lives of others as many as he could. And so he spent the entire day and night carrying wounded soldiers to the cliff's edge and lowering, down, lowering them down by a rope and each time praying that God would help him to save one more. And when it was all said and done, they say he rescued over 75 soldiers that day. Well, the rest of the unit was, was inspired by his courage, his bravery, and they launched another attack in which Dosh managed to save his comrades by knocking enemy gra- grenades away with his hands and his feet. And he was ultimately wounded by the blast of one grenade, but the battle was won and Doss was considered a war hero. Well, this is just one of many stories that be, could be told of, of daring soldiers who have served above and beyond the call of duty. And in our text today, Paul, who we could liken to the commanding general of the army of spiritual soldiers that was fighting to advance the, the gospel throughout the known world at the time, here he gave a glowing commendation of one of the bravest soldiers that he ever had the privilege of serving alongside. His name was Epaphroditus, which means loving or charming. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't anybody special in the sense that he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't an elder, he didn't take the gospel to some unreached people group, he never received divine revelation, he wasn't an author of scripture, he was just an ordinary member of the church in Philippi who was chosen to deliver a financial gift to Paul and to serve his needs while he was under house arrest in Rome. Now, I say that because when we think of great heroes of the Christian faith, we typically think of guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Charles Spurgeon. But Paul considered this simple layman who was willing to do routine menial work and and serve quietly and inconspicuously behind the scenes. He viewed him as a hero of the Christian faith. And Paul wanted to make sure that this daring soldier who literally put his life on the line for the cause of Christ received the recognition that he deserved when he returned back to Philippi. And I think it's profound to think that God himself honored the faithful service of Epaphroditus by preserving it here in the pages of his word for every future generation to read and learn from, including us sitting here this morning. Like I mentioned last week, both Epaphroditus and Timothy are are really role models for all of us to pattern our lives after when it comes to serving the Lord. What does it look like to serve the Lord? And uh, both of these men really are outstanding examples of everything that Paul had been exhorting uh, the Philippians to be and do in this letter, specifically here in chapter 2. We know that Paul was exhorting them to humbly and selflessly serve others by putting the interest of others above their own. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he said this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul went on to explain how this selfless, humble, uh, sacrificial mindset was the mindset of Christ who put our interests above his own by humbly and selflessly leaving the glories of heaven and, and coming to earth in human form in order to die on the cross in our place. And he describes that in verses six through 11. And then following the example of Christ, He provides himself and his example in verses 17 and 18 and then goes on to include two of his faithful companions or co-workers who also had the mind of Christ and were selfless, selfless, sacrificial servants. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes following the example of Christ or 
even the Apostle Paul seems next to impossible. It's beyond our, our reach as, as humans. And so of these four examples, Christ, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, I think Epaphroditus is the one who makes all that Paul has been commanding seem doable, attainable, since he was a simple, ordinary layman without any official titles or any great gifts or talents that we know of. Last week, we looked at a brief biographical sketch that Paul included about Timothy, and now we're going to look at this brief sketch of Epaphroditus. And again, there's an ordinariness about it, which is refreshing. And uh, remember that at the time when Paul wrote this, both of these men were by his side serving his needs while he was waiting uh, to hear the results of his appeal to Caesar as he was under house arrest. He wasn't sure how long that was going to take. And so his plan was to send Epaphroditus back to his home church in Philippi with this letter to encourage them, exhort them. And then he was going to send Timothy with the news as soon as the case was decided. Um, and so we said that Timothy could be categorized as the caring servant. In verses 19 through 24, Paul commended Timothy uh, to them and explained the reasons why he was planning to send him uh, to uh, see them in Philippi. And likewise, in verses 25 through 30, Paul commended Epaphrodites to the church in Philippi and explained the reasons why he was planning to send him back to them sooner than they had expected. And I think that's what's unique here about Epaphroditus being sent to uh, Philippi and uh, Timothy being sent to Philippi. Um, I think it seems apparent from the language that Paul used here uh, in this text that uh, he felt an obligation to explain the circumstances surrounding Epaphroditus' illness and premature return. And I don't think it's too, too much of a stretch to say that Paul was providing the Philippians with a proper perspective on the situation so that, that none of them would wrongly assume that, that Epaphroditus, their representative, had failed his mission or deserted his assigned post to escape danger or to preserve his own life. And so uh, I would like to characterize Epaphroditus in this passage. I think he's characterized by Paul as a daring soldier. Timothy was a caring servant, but Epaphroditus was a daring soldier. And in order to silence any potential critics who might think that, that this guy couldn't hack the rigors of caring for Paul and had decided on his own to retreat to the safety of uh, back in Philippi, Paul wanted to make it clear that it was his idea to send them back home. Furthermore, he wanted them to know that Epaphroditus had gotten sick, like really sick, like deathly sick. And even so, he continued to diligently serve him on their behalf at the risk of his own life as any loyal, courageous soldier would. And so this... I think you could liken to an honorable discharge. Um, and so there was absolutely no shame in Epaphroditus returning to Philippi. And on the contrary, he was, he was a hero and he deserved a hero's welcome. And so I just want to break this passage down into two sections, verses 25 through 28. We'll see Epaphroditus' honorable discharge. And then in verses 29 and 30, we'll see his meritorious salute his meritorious salute, and just using military language here in light of the fact that he was characterized by Paul as a daring soldier. So let's look first of all at, at Epaphroditus' honorable discharge. Verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Again, when the church in, in Philippi had heard that, that Paul had been arrested and was under house arrest in Rome, they wanted to help him, and yet it was impossible for all of them to load up on a bus and, and head off to Rome uh, to, to visit him. And so they decided to send him some money and a representative from their congregation to provide him companionship and to serve him while he was uh, in, in prison. And so Epaphroditus either volunteered or was selected to make the 800-mile trek from Philippi to Rome 
to deliver the church's financial gift and then to stay and minister to Paul's needs on behalf of the church. And as a result, uh, he endeared himself to Paul and developed a camaraderie with Paul through his selfless sacrificial service. And so Paul wanted the Philippians to know how highly he regarded uh, this man. Uh, he, he commended him to them using a series of five titles in, in verse um, 25. And um, these titles describe the nature of his relationship with Paul and the nature of his relationship with the Philippians. And so uh, the first three titles pertain to Epaphroditus' relationship to the apostle. The last two titles pertain to his relationship with his sending church. Notice the first three titles. He says this. He says, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So he calls Epaphroditus his brother. If you remember, he referred to Timothy as his what? His son. But he referred to Epaphroditus as his brother. They were brothers in Christ through their common faith uh, they were both members of the family of God. And so these sons of God, these two sons of God, developed an abiding friendship, a, a brotherly uh, uh, relationship as they served him together. He also calls him his fellow worker. So he viewed him as a, a co-laborer who shared his struggle in the cause of the gospel. Um, chapter four, verse three, he refers to Clement as a fellow worker, a true companion, uh, along with the rest of my fellow workers. And so uh, he and Epaphroditus were partners laboring side by side in the work of the ministry. And then he refers to him uh, using one of his favorite analogies when it came to serving the Lord, and that was a fellow soldier. Paul likened him to, to a soldier fighting uh, shoulder to shoulder with him with their shields connected like the Roman soldiers would and their, their swords drawn and they were standing firm together in the face of danger. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said this to Timothy. He said, suffer hardship with me, Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And so as one commentator said, Epaphroditus was a battle-tested warrior who had been wounded in combat and was being sent home for a rest. That's, I think, how we should view what was going on with Epaphroditus. He was a battle-tested warrior who'd been wounded on the field of battle and was being sent home for a rest. Notice the last two titles and how they describe his relationship with his fellow church members back in Philippi. It says he was also uh, your messenger and minister to my need. The word messenger is the word apostolos, where we get the word apostle. This is not the official title that was used for the 12 apostles who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection and had received a special commission from Christ himself to preach the gospel. This was a, a simple uh, generic term that means uh, one who has been sent. And so it was just being used here to describe someone who served as a delegate on behalf of others. And so he was their messenger. He was also their minister on their behalf, it says. A minister to my need. Uh, this word minister is related to that word service in verse 17. You might remember from a few weeks ago, I'm being, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, Paul said, and we, we mentioned that, that that word described a priest presiding over a sacred ceremony or performing a sacred duty. Same word is used in verse 30, um, risking his own life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So all that to say, Paul viewed Epaphroditus as a priest ministering to him on behalf of his home church. That, that, that this was a sacred act of worship, what he was doing. In fact, we remember, you'll remember in chapter four, verse 18, Paul described their gift, their financial gift as an act of worship. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's the only other time Epaphroditus is mentioned uh, in this letter is in chapter four, verse 18. Well, Paul couldn't say enough about 
Epaphroditus, his, his godly character, his faithful service, and his genuine concern for others. Notice what he says in verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger and minister in my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So Epaphroditus had a deep love and concern for his brothers and sisters in Christ back in Philippi, and I guess you could say he was a bit homesick. And he was distressed. That word distress describes mental, emotional, and spiritual anguish and grief. This is the same word that's used to describe the extreme grief and agony that Jesus experienced in the the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled with that horrifying thought of being made sin on our behalf and experiencing the wrath of God against our sin. And so Epaphroditus was in grief. He was in agony. He didn't want the folks back in, at his home church to be worried about him. I mean, Epaphroditus was, was that patient you go to visit in the hospital to see how, how they're doing and, and, and you, you walk into the room and the first thing they do is ask you how you're doing. You ever been to the hospital and visit a person like that? Uh, they're, they're more concerned about how you're doing than, than how they're doing. They're the one that, that's laying in the hospital bed and you're doing fine, but they're more concerned about you they don't want to be the focus of attention. They, they, don't, they don't want to be a bother to anybody. In fact, hey, don't, don't even come. I'm good. I'm good. You, you stay home and you spend time with your family and you do what you need to do. And, and that was Epaphroditus. And just like Paul and Timothy, he, he had the mind of Christ. And he considered others more important than himself. And he didn't just merely look out for his own interests. He was like sick unto death here. It was like... Uh, he, was, he was about on, on, the, on the brink of death and yet he was still at that point looking out for the interests of others. I think it's also possible that he was distressed or worried, if you will, about how they were reacting to the news that he had gotten sick. And again, I'm, I'm reading between the lines a bit here, but I think it's, I think it's safe, I think it's fair in light of the language, uh, the circumstances that Paul's describing here. But I think it may have concerned Epaphroditus that rumors had traveled back to Philippi that he, that he was nothing but a sickly slacker who had shirked his responsibility that they had entrusted to him and that he'd become more of a burden to Paul than the blessing that they had intended him to be. And maybe that's why Paul stressed how sick he really was. He may have felt the need to provide a a clear explanation of what actually happened and and clear up any misunderstanding that might have been in the minds of the Philippians to to ensure that Epaphroditus wouldn't return home with his head hung low or or that he would in in some way be shunned by people when he uh, returned. Notice it says in verse 27, he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. And we don't know exactly what kind of sickness he had, he, but whatever it was, it almost killed him. It was bad. He may have gotten sick during that, the rigorous, dangerous 800-mile journey, which they said took uh, maybe a month and a half to get from Philippi to Rome. He may have caught some dreadful disease that was going around ancient Rome at the time. Um, Or maybe he just simply overexerted himself in serving Paul. Maybe he was like David Brainerd, the, the missionary to the American Indians who who was so radical in his devotion to Christ that, that, that he worked himself to death, literally. He contracted tuberculosis and, and, and yet he didn't take good care of himself and he just continued to go out in the middle of the winter and, and, and sleep in the woods and just to reach one more tribe of Indians that had never heard the gospel. And he, he literally burned himself out serving the Lord. He died at the age of 29. You may have heard it said that it's 
better to burn out for Christ than to rust out. Someone said it this way, it's better to die in the service of Jesus than to be counted a mere statistic among those who die from illness or accident. In other words, if you're gonna die, don't just die of an accident or some sickness, man, go out serving the Lord. Go out in a blaze of God's glory. So Paul says, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. And I think this this situation begs the question that if Paul was an apostle who had the signs of an apostle, he was able to perform miracles, as it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, then why didn't he just heal Epaphroditus? It's a fair question, right? And I think this is a very helpful case study regarding the often confusing and controversial subject of sickness and divine healing. And we could preach a whole message on this, but let me just briefly make a few comments that I hope will be helpful this morning, um, especially in light of the modern day faith healers and power evangelists, as they're called, who believe and, and teach that God wants his children healthy and, and wealthy. And if you aren't, then you're either in sin or you lack faith. Well, first of all, based on this passage, sickness is not always the result of sin or a lack of faith. It may be a badge of honor for sacrificial service. Secondly, it's not always God's will that we be healed. God ordains sickness for his glory and our good. Thirdly, Epaphroditus wasn't the only one that Paul didn't heal. He didn't heal himself. According to Galatians chapter four, Paul says that they knew about his sickness. That had something to do with his eyes. That's why he had to write in, 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 in big letters, kind of close down, writing in big letters. And, and he said that, man, if you could, you would have torn out your eyes and given to me. So he lived with some eye disease and he never healed himself. Um, he never healed Timothy. Uh, if you think of anybody that, he, that Paul loved more than anyone, it was Timothy, and he had something wrong with his stomach, and uh, instead of healing him, he said, hey, just drink a little wine from time to time. That'll help. Calm your upset stomach. And then most notably, I think, is a guy named Trophimus. He's only mentioned once in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. It just simply says, but Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. It's like, hey, bro, you got the ability to heal. Why aren't you healing these guys? You're just kind of leaving them for dead here. What's the, what's the plan? What's the problem? And so, again, this is not the only case of someone that went unhealed for God's sovereign purposes. And I think it's important, lastly, that we just understand that, that healing is not something that we have a right to expect or demand. It's a merciful gift from God. Notice what Paul says here. He says, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. So Paul praised God for having mercy on Epaphroditus and sparing his life and restoring him to health, which was also an act of mercy toward Paul. Not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul was so grateful that God had mercifully chosen to heal his friend, especially since he already had so many other concerns and burdens and and heartaches to deal with which, which were overwhelming to Paul. And he, he loved this guy and he needed him and his death would have brought him additional pain and sorrow. Let me just read for you something that I found very helpful in one of the commentaries I read this week. And this is a, a, a British commentator named Michael Bentley and this is what he says about this concept of healing. I think he does a really good job here. He says, the gift of healing 
is in the sovereign hands of God. He says, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, the apostles never put up notices saying healings will take place here next Friday at eight o'clock. Scripture teaches us that the gift of healing is under the lordship of the Holy Spirit. The sick are not healed just because a certain preacher commands them to be healed. It is so cruel and erroneous to teach that the reason why some people are not miraculously healed is because they have no faith. Or if that if someone dies as a result of an illness is because he or she is lacking in faith. It is evil even to suggest such a thing. Don't be duped by that heresy. When one of these so-called evangelists advertises for people to come to his meetings and, sees, and, and to see miracles happen, this can be positively harmful to the gospel message. We can imagine the case of a non-Christian who has a serious illness and goes along to such a gathering but comes away unhealed. Why is that experience, what is that experience going to say to that person about Christ and his gospel? It will do untold damage. Healing cannot just be performed at the flick of a switch or in answer to an evangelist's prayer or touch. It is God alone who brings healing. This is why we cry out to him in prayer. Sometimes he chooses to answer our prayers and bring healing to an individual, but on other occasions he chooses not to do so. He heals according to his own will and pleasure. Amen? It's a really good um, principle that we need to, to understand here that ultimately healing is based on the mercy of God, not on the power of some evangelist or faith healer. We'll look back at our text here. He says, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not only on, on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. So Paul reiterated here that, that he was the one who had decided that Epaphroditus should return to Philippi. It wasn't Epaphroditus' idea. It wasn't their idea. It was his idea so that Epaphroditus... And the Philippians wouldn't feel bad that he wasn't able to help him for as long as they had hoped. So he was taking the monkey off their back. He, he made the tough decision so they wouldn't have to. So that when they saw him, they could rejoice. Paul knew that sending Epaphroditus home would be best for everyone involved. They would all be joyfully relieved, including Paul himself. He says that I may be less concerned about you. And again, just like Epaphroditus, Paul was deeply concerned about the saints in Philippi. And by sending him home, that was one less church crisis that he had to be concerned about. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. apart from all the physical struggles and, and persecutions and, and things I've got to deal with, it's a concern for all the churches is a burden to me. And so he says, you know what? I, I can cross you guys off my list. That's one less church I gotta worry about. I don't need to be concerned about you anymore. And again, it's just a, Paul's a great example of someone who had the mind of Christ, who was truly selfless and he was willing to sacrifice his own interests for the well-being of others. He was more concerned about the needs of the Philippians than he was about his own needs. And he always did what was best for others rather than what was best for himself. And so Paul describes what we could call Epaphroditus' honorable discharge. Honorable discharge. Which should be rewarded as any dishonorable, or excuse me, as any honorable discharge should be rewarded with a meritorious salute. In other words, a hero's welcome. The word salute, if you're not familiar with that, we always think of this kind of thing, a salute, right? Which is a sign of respect, it's a sign of honor. But in this context, I'm using it to, to mean to welcome someone, to, to salute them, to pay tribute to them, to honor them, to celebrate them, to take your hat off to them. And so in order to protect Epaphroditus, again, from any criticism that, that he may have abandoned Paul when he needed them the most or that he, he hadn't completed the mission 
on which he was sent, Paul commanded the Philippians here in verses 29 and 30 to joyously welcome him home and honor and esteem and appreciate him for his admirable service. Notice he says, receive him then in the Lord with all joy. In other words, nobody should be hanging their heads on this deal. Nobody should be bummed out or, or, and, and, and you better not be looking down on him because he had gotten sick and had to come home prematurely. I mean, he was no quitter. He was not a deserter. This was not John Mark who just kind of took off when we needed him the most. No, on the contrary, this Epaphroditus has served with distinction above and beyond the call of duty, and he deserved to be publicly recognized. He was to be given an appropriate homecoming celebration. He's essentially telling them to throw this guy a party. So receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. That word for high regard means something that is precious or prized. It's something of great worth value. And I think this is a great example for us as a church that it is right and it is good for us as a church to highly esteem and publicly appreciate those who sacrificially give of themselves for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. Those who do that, those who serve like Epaphroditus are worthy of honor. God is worthy of the glory, but they're worthy of the honor. Romans 13, 7, Paul said, render to all what is due him, honor to whom honor. Romans 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Here's Paul writing to the church in Rome, who is the servant of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of, for she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. In other words, this is a, this is a servant-hearted woman here. She's a diakonos, a, a deaconess, if you will. She's been faithfully serving the church. Man, give her, uh, give her honor. She's worthy of honor when she comes. Commend her. And then to the church of Thessalonica, Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. He says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In other words, this is the attitude that we should have to those who, who diligently work amongst us. And particularly those who are in leadership, who have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul said of deacons in 1 Timothy 3.13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing. And then finally, Paul, referring to elders, said the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so Paul says, hey, honor this guy. Give him a hero's welcome. Hold him in high regard. Why? Verse 30, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So even though Epaphroditus had gotten sick and was on the brink of death. That didn't stop him from continuing to serve Paul. And if he had died, it would have been for the cause of Christ. And so Paul said, hey, your guy put his life on the line for me. He endangered himself for the sake of the gospel. He risked his own life. That word for risking is a Greek word that means to cast aside, parabolomai, uh, to cast aside, literally to play the gambler. And the idea here is, is, is rolling dice or, or playing cards with a, with a lot of money at stake. I mean, you lay it all on the line. You put all your chips in. I mean, you go for broke. That was how Paul was describing Epaphroditus. 
He described Priscilla and Aquila in Romans 16, verse 3, in similar terms. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks. They risked their necks for Paul and the gospel. And so did Epaphroditus. He exposed himself to all kinds of dangers while, while serving Paul. I mean, traveling to Rome itself was, 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 was dangerous. And, and probably most dangerous, and we might not think about this, but was just his, his, his mere association with Paul, the fact that he was there with Paul. And he befriended Paul and was serving Paul, and, and Paul was on trial for threatening the Roman Empire. And so uh, that could have easily led to Epaphroditus getting arrested himself and maybe even being executed himself. As Chuck Swindoll said, not even the threat of death could hold him back. Such love and reckless devotion certainly won Paul's respect and he wanted the church in Philippi to share this same respect for their beloved brother. Reckless devotion to Christ. And Epaphroditus' example of reckless devotion to Christ inspired others in the early church to do the same. Uh, there was a, a group of people that rose up in the, in the early church. They called themselves the Parabolini, which literally meant the gamblers. Imagine being a part of the, in a church called the gamblers, the risk takers, and this is how one commentator describes what they did. They ministered to the sick and imprisoned, and they saw to it that if all possible, martyrs and sometimes even enemies would receive an honorable burial. Thus, in the city of Carthage, during the great pestilence of AD 252, Cyprian, the bishop, showed remarkable courage in self-sacrificing fidelity to his flock and love even for his enemies. He took on himself the care of the sick and bade his congregation to nurse them and bury the dead. What a contrast with the practice of the heathen who were throwing the corpses out of the plague-stricken city and running for their lives away from the terror. And so as unbelievers were running away, the church was running into the plague. The parabolony, the gamblers, the risk-takers. And Epaphroditus was that God, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In other words, Paul was saying, hey, you owe this guy a debt of gratitude for the service that he rendered on your behalf to me. And again, while God deserved all the glory and all the credit, he deserved some recognition for his Christ-like service. If you're struggling with that concept of, hey, we shouldn't be exalting any human being for their service, well, we just need to go back earlier into the chapter where we see how Christ humbly and sacrificially served us by dying for us. And what does the text say? Yeah, and then we're just supposed to forget about it. No, what did God do? God, in turn, highly, what? Exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. And in like manner, Paul expected Epaphroditus to be highly regarded for, for humbly and sacrificially serving him and almost dying. He didn't die like Christ. He almost died for the cause of Christ. And so therefore, he deserved honor. What's the best way to honor someone that you look up to? It's not just to say, you know, I really honor you, I really respect you. Yeah, that's nice, they appreciate that, but the best way to honor and regard, show regard to someone is to strive to be like them, to model your life after them. And Epaphroditus is worthy of emulation. And he's just one of many throughout church history who who bravely risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. I began by mentioning 
the story of one brave soldier's heroic service on the island of Okinawa. I want to close by telling you another story of another brave soldier's service on another island in the South Pacific. I'm sure many of you have heard the name John G. Patton. He was a pioneer missionary to a chain of islands in the South Pacific called the New Hebrides. This was 1824, end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s. Uh, the islands were inhabited by peoples whose existence had been unknown to the rest of the world for centuries. In fact, in 1839, two London missionaries made the first uh, attempt to bring the gospel to these unreached uh, islands, but they were killed and eaten by cannibals just minutes after they had arrived on shore. And yet John Patton and his wife decided to set sail for the islands in 1858. And as you can imagine, their decision didn't come without criticism. On one account, before leaving, a respected elder in the church chided the couple and said, John Patton, you'll be eaten by cannibals. To which Patton responded, classic. Sir, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. He had the heart of Epaphroditus. The next time... We're embarrassed to tell our friends about Christ or our coworkers or classmates about the Lord and share the gospel. Remember that men like Patton and Epaphroditus literally risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. The question that remains for us is what are we willing to risk our lives for, for the sake of Christ? We told you we left our signups back there for the various ministry opportunities that we have in our church. I want to just say thank you for uh, all of you that have just faithfully signed up to serve. Uh, Over 75 of you answered the call to meet one of the needs that we have uh, back there. But there's more. There's still more needs that that, that, uh, need to be filled. More ministry positions, more uh, opportunities and if you've noticed it, it, it always seems to be about the children's ministry. Well, why is that? Um, well, I think it's really simple. Children's ministry is the largest ministry in our church. <laughs> it ministers to the, to the largest number of bodies and people and souls than any other ministry in our church. And so it requires a whole lot of people to serve and to volunteer. And that's why you're always hearing announcements about the children's ministry. And I was thinking about how practical this passage is, especially when it comes to the concept of concern. Epaphroditus was concerned about his brothers and sisters back in the church in Philippi. Paul was concerned for the well-being of the saints in Philippi. And uh, they were willing to sacrifice their own interests to bring relief to other people. Paul wanted the Philippians to be relieved to have their their man home and Paul wanted to be relieved that that he knew they were relieved. And and so I thought about this, that that are we concerned, are we as concerned for the well-being of other people in our church who are sacrificing a lot to serve in the children's ministry? And sometimes even having to miss church because there's not enough help. There's not enough people to to cover all the spaces and to do all that they need to do. And so are we concerned enough? You say, well, I don't really have a heart for kids, for children. Uh, Or I serve my time, you know, when I was younger. Or that's just not my area of giftedness. Or, well, that all may be true but do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling to 
to fill all the positions and to do all that they need to do, enough to, to want to bring them some relief to those who need desperately some assistance. And hey, you may not be asked to teach. Don't ask me to teach children. I would stink at that. I'm just saying. I would get in there and not know what to say and how to bring all this stuff down to a child's understanding. And that would be very challenging for me personally. But, but hey, you can go sit there and you can be a support and you can be an encouragement and you can be that extra set of eyes and, and hands and, and, and uh, be, be an encouragement to these little ones. Listen to Bible verses that they're memorizing so they can say them to you and check it off. Hey, yeah, good job. And um, there's just lots of things you could do. But I just thought how practical this is that, that again, it, that's the biggest ministry in our church. That's the area of greatest need. And even if it's not for the children, you would do it for your brothers and sisters in Christ to support them and, 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 and help them because you're concerned for them. And you care about them more than you care about your own comfort and your own um, um, ease. And so we've got the sign-up still there. We're going to give you one more week to go back there. Hopefully some of you, maybe you've missed the last couple Sundays. You're here this morning. You haven't had a chance to sign up. Please do that. Um, Others of you who have already signed up for four things, don't go back and sign up one more time, okay? That, then you're in sin because you're, over, you're, you're overextending yourself, but I guess you're, you're, the, you're the gambler, right? Just go for it, right? The risk taker. Lay it all on the line, man. Put all your chips in, right? Like Epaphroditus. But um, anyway, I, I just am so grateful that in God's providence, he brought us to these verses for this time in the life of our church. And uh, I trust that God will use these verses to stir all of us up uh, to be faithful, humble, sacrificial servants like Christ, like Paul, like Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and how it just speaks so clearly, so directly to our hearts and uh, to our circumstances. And uh, Lord, thank you for uh, the many uh, ministry ministries that you have raised up in the life of this church. And and you know the needs, Father, and we, we know, we trust you. You'll meet those needs. You have been meeting those needs, and, and um, we, we never want to appear desperate because we know you're in control, and you will always, uh, will never lack your provision. But Lord, I pray you just help us to maybe think differently. Some of us need to think differently about why we serve and, and where we serve and who we serve. And I pray that these examples that we've looked at of, of model servants would uh, really stir up this body to be uh, like Paul and like Timothy and like Epaphroditus, Lord, that we would be a, a church of 400 ministers and servants, uh, that there'd be nobody that just kind of comes and sits and takes, but never gives and never serves. And so, Lord, we could sit up here and talk about that till we're blue in the face, but Ultimately, that's an act of mercy and grace that you will accomplish in each of our hearts. And so we pray you do that for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.